Thanks to our sponsor, Walker Digital, who have stepped in to help the Numbers Game podcast with their social media. Walker Digital are a digital marketing agency covering strategy, content, video, implementation, and education. The team at Walker have spread the word of our clients and love working with businesses doing good things, helping them to grow and reach more people so they can scale and get larger. I know personally, the first thing I did when growing our business was to outsource social media, blogs, and copywriting because I knew it was something that was not the best use of my time and the girls at Walker Digital smashed it. Sometimes you need to walk before you can run. Find out more at their website, wlkr.digital. This episode does not class as personal advice. It is general and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. People may also hold positions in the companies discussed. Welcome back to The Numbers Game. This is episode two. I'm Jason and I'm here with Nick and Marty. And how are we going, Jace? Are we are we like the top finance podcast yet in Australia or is it too early to call? You'll definitely find us in the top 10 on Apple Podcasts, I think. Yep. Top 10, top bottom. I don't care. We're on. We're here. We're here and that's all that matters. And some great topics today. We're going to talk about goals and not just setting goals, but how to sustain them and how to make them realistic. Uh, knowing when to exit your business and we're very lucky we've got someone at the table, Marty Vids, who has exited a business on more than one occasion and timed it perfectly. Exiting for the right reasons as well is important. The yeah. right reasons. And should we be starting a business or exiting a business in these times? We're going to cover all that on the numbers game. Let's play. This is Reading the Play, where we're bringing something to you that we read in the last week that got our attention. Nick, what got your attention this week? Uh, job keeper or bonus keeper? Uh, where I'm going with that, there's a lot of businesses that accepted JobKeeper and took JobKeeper. I've come today with a specific example, an investment bank called Molus. So to give you some numbers, Molus received $3.3 million in JobKeeper payments. Nice. That's handy. Very handy. Molus also paid out $4.9 million this year in bonuses to executives and staff. $2.7 million of that was made up of cash payments. So... It leads to the question, was JobKeeper there to retain people or was JobKeeper there to put a lot of businesses in a better better position? Now, the one thing I will bring up is in contrast, there are businesses, uh, to name a couple, Adairs and Nick Scarley, who have actually handed their JobKeeper payments back after it turned out they had bumper years and it was only a small, uh, a small hurdle, uh, COVID. So the question I ask is who's to blame here, Molus or the government? It's interesting. I think reading all the ones that have done the PR spin on giving back JobKeeper, I think Toyota was one of the first ones that came out and gave back $18 million to the ATO. So I think, are we okay with those those bonuses being paid out for businesses that are cashed up because of JobKeeper? And I'm a bit in two minds. I think on my side of the coin, from an accountant point of view, who's seen JobKeeper help businesses survive, mm. I'm, I'm all for JobKeeper in that way. Well, there's a key word there, keeper. So at the end of the day, it was there for people to retain their jobs. So how, how someone can take $3.3 million from the government and then still pay people a bonus above their normal salary absolutely baffles me. But I don't blame Mollus. I blame the government because at the end, the end of the day, the government came up with a structure, and you would know this better than I do, but it was pretty loose. And to be able to, to claim JobKeeper, mm. I believe you only had to show uh, one quarter of a downturn one of 30%. Month. One, one month. one month. If March or April were down 30%, yep. just one month, yep. you qualified for that first round of JobKeeper. So any business that had the ability to manipulate invoices, timing, 
could have hypothetically got JobKeeper, well, correct? It's funny. Look, as you say that, right? So JobKeeper was a game in some way. There was a lot of businesses that gamified JobKeeper. Now, looking at that, whether they had their accountants help, whether they went about it themselves, that actually leads into a bit of what I wanted to talk about today when I read the play. And I looked at an article about the federal court handed down a $23 million fine to an accountant who helped his clients get $45 million worth of R&T offsets and rebates, so physical cash back in their pocket. So quickly for R&D, for tax incentives that people don't know what R&D is, effectively if your company invests in innovation and developing technology and processes that don't already exist, you can apply for this R&D tax incentive. More broadly, I I apply this story to then government grants, JobKeeper, R&D tax offset is that Anyone who comes to you and tells you that you're entitled to something and it seems too good to be true, you need to be careful because often if it sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true. Now, this guy, Paul, I'm just going to say Paul, but you can find the story online. He got 30% of every R&D claim he put through for his clients. So he pocketed about $13, $14 million for the $45 million that he got his clients. So while I know there's plenty of good advisors and good accountants out there, As a business owner, you need to know your numbers. You need to know what you're signing off on. And that comes right down to an individual tax return, a job keeper lodgement, all the way up to an R&D claim. Being a business owner is tough, Marty. It is. And I I think, you know, when you get a stimulus like that, there's always going to be people to take advantage of it. And that's like what sort of criteria is around it. I think that's what we're talking about here. Because I think I, I think of more the small business owner in regards to they are investing that back into the business they are saving jobs they are doing the right things and when i hear stories like that i go my goodness it's it's there's such a different reality between small business and sometimes big business but again how are we going to grade that what parameters are we going to put around that because people for centuries you give you know you give a person an inch and they'll take six it's uh I know we're in centimetres these days, but I am 48. You are so. also the quite queen, the quite king. Let's not. Uh. <laughs> but but I think I was sort of looking at it from an overall perspective, um, and I'm thinking it's 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 an interesting time what we've had over the last 12 months. And should we be starting a business? Should we be looking to exit business? Lots of questions come up when there's great challenge. And uh, I did a little bit of research. There are 2.4 million actively trading businesses in Australia. In 2020, 344,000 new businesses were created. 297,000 businesses closed down. That's a high that's a high rate of businesses falling over. And I don't know what that relates to in the past, but that seems to me very high. Only 47% of business owners, which is about 1.1 million, Turnover less than $60,000 a year. So when I'm talking about that cafe owner, we know ourselves how hard it is to start up a business and the work that has to go in. I mean, it's 24-7. You're thinking about it on the weekend. You go to bed with a tear on the pillow some nights. Other nights you're jubilant because something's gone well. It's a real roller coaster. So business isn't easy in general. And only 8% of business owners ever turn over a million bucks. Mm. So 
you know, we're, we're talking about when we're looking at those bigger style pictures, it irks me when people are paying bonuses out like that when you've got real people under a real struggle trying to get through. And like I said, one in three businesses fall over in the first year. I think it's two out of four by the end of the second year, and it's three out of four by the fifth year. They're pretty damning, damning stats. So I think there needs to be more to support business, and I just think it was a necessary a necessary stimulus to come in to help the majority of people who were doing the right things. And I'm glad these types of people get draped over the coals because we'll find a better way forward. And the government will ultimately, I think. So, or back, maybe not. Back to you, Jason. And and my example was, uh, was an article out of the AFR. These people haven't necessarily been draped over the coals for the for the, for the JobKeeper piece. Do you see ramifications? I know there's been some media suggesting there will be, but- Number one, um, does the government have the resources um, to start to audit? And number two, as an accountant, are you hearing anything about you know the possibility of that happening? Yeah, look, at my level, what I see is that I do not believe there is the resources there to do an in-depth review of JobKeeper to the level where they can actually look at how many businesses got it. It, it is a self-assessment system. The whole ATO system is self-assessment. So you you put through what you think is correct and you sign off on it. You've got to play within the rules, but it's self-assessment. Um, I think the stats were around seven or 8,000 people were dobbed in for JobKeeper cheating or, or, or potential fraud of the system. They reckon that majority of that was unwarranted. They're investigating 1,700. They've cleared 1,200. So it doesn't sound like there's many mm. numbers left of, of what they're actually still looking at at the moment. It's not to say they can't open this up in a year or two when things calm down. Um, so... You know, it's important to know your numbers right, but yeah, it's unfortunately I, I can't see the resources there when they're still scrambling to you know yeah. keep everything moving economy wise. So who Jace, knows what's ahead? Is it is it a lost leader from the government's perspective where they go, look, we're helping the majority of people here who are doing the right things, and we have to will bear some consequence ultimately, yep. um, and place those resources potentially there where the where the systemic problem is. Marty, what you touched on though is that majority of this was helping small business owners. Absolutely, what we're seeing in the media is the big stories for the big companies like seven west media got 47 million dollars worth of job keeper but profited 117 million year to date that's amazing so you got these anomaly stories that pop up but what i wanted to challenge you on marty was the business owner statistics now as an accountant for the last five or so years and the number of failures we talk about and this is not your figures marty this is the figures that the abs put out but if we've got one in three business owners failing in their first year but in five years as an accountant, I haven't seen that many. Like It's nowhere near that number. I, I think I've had five businesses in 400 not survive. What I think those stats are skewed by is people that start an ABN, put it through invoices for you, through, and then stop, stop operating their business. Now, is that a failure? I mean, look, it, it, for the statistics, it is. But if you decided, ah, oh, running a business is not for me, I'm going to go back to my wage job. That is a statistic that says that business failed. Well, yeah, it failed. And, you know, what? why did they set that business up? If, if they've sent a few invoices through and then stopped the business, where was the business plan? What was the goal? What was, um, you know, what was the vision? Obviously, it was uh, limited. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't um, they wouldn't pull the pin after a, yeah. cu- a couple of failed months. There's a lot of uh, – and, and it's a lot different. The businesses you might be looking at, uh, you know, Potentially, and I'm again, I'm only throwing it out there. The more established business, it might be three years in, two years in, you know, 
into their fourth year, so they've got more of a chance. But I see a lot of people coming into business with still an employee mindset, and they think the qualities of an employee are going to be able to be transitioned into the business. Now, in some cases, as as business owners, that has to be readjusted mm. because the same thing that makes you successful as a professional employee doesn't apply. Attributes do, but you have to create a whole new skill set because you've got to be over marketing, you've got to be over financials, you've got to bring in new customers, you've got to get on the hustle, you've got to find the market need. It's a lot of pressure. And I think what ends up happening when you look at the majority of those small business owners only earning 60000 a year, they're going, what am I, what am I doing this for? You know, it's a, and you can make decent money running a business, but really ultimately, and we'll talk about it later, it, you, make, that's, you make your money on the exit. Mm. That, that's the key. Yeah. But it's um, that first couple of years, it's so vulnerable and there's a lot of hustle to get it right and people just aren't equipped sometimes to deal so with it. So the offset for the people making 60000 a year, I guess the thought process is, should I just get a wage job? Well, I'm supported. I'm supported with everything else. I don't have to start up a domain name. I don't have to do my own bookkeeping Uh, because they're not yet coming to people like yourselves to be able to work the money that they've made more effectively at that stage. They're just trying to make money. (laughs) They're just trying to get ahead one foot in front of the other. And it's a high pressure time. So I think... I think again, some you know, some great resources in in learning about business, being involved with business owners, shows like this, just picking up ideas and getting you through that first couple of years where it's so vulnerable. For someone who's not at the ten year mark yet, because I know the statistics to survive ten years is is so low. Nick, you've been in business over ten years, and Marty, you've had businesses for over ten years. What is one tip or bit of information you can say for the people that aren't there yet to persevere and get through, what's your bit of advice? Um, well, it, it might sound obvious, but planning. And I do feel that when a lot of people go into business, they don't have that plan. They don't have a, a 12-month projection of what things are going to look like. They don't understand what they need. You know, I know in the last episode, we talked about personal budgeting. Mm. So link that in. What does that look like for the next 12 months if you have zero income? So make sure when you go into business that you've you at least give yourself that year and you know the stat around people not getting through the first 12 months is because they um they get nervous uh and 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 they panic because they're used to receiving an income and all of a sudden there's there's no money so one of the things and even in our business we have some some contractors that come in um and they might come in from a new industry we say you need to give it 12 months if you don't have uh the resources behind you um, and the will and the drive to give it 12 months, you're pretty much wasting your time. So I would say have um, have savings to get you through a year, depending on the business and what the cash flows are like and, and how often you're going to receive revenue. But make sure that you can last a year because you will never know um, if it doesn't work within six months, if it was ever going to work. What, what Nick said is so important. I've seen most business owners not do this, is have savings in advance for that year. Take the pressure off yourself and you don't want to be sitting in front of a client going, if I don't get this deal, I'm eating boiled potatoes for the next month, right? So you, you really want to come at it with a, I'll say a loose plan because one thing I found in business is that you need to constantly pivot. You have to have both a growth mindset in, and then and then a fixed mindset in pivoting towards what works and then leverage that. As soon as you get traction in the market, you want to ride that traction through. And I see most people have beautiful offers set up and they spend their money on all the niceties of making the business look good. 
I'm more the opposite. I, I think you want your net profit to look better than your foyer initially until you've created that business to a point where now this makes sense to take it to the next level. I know starting with Wingdings business cards back in 2000, and, and I laugh now when I look at it, but I go, oh, that got me going. I didn't overspend in the wrong areas. I spent in focused areas. That Those paper-thin business cards. Mate, have the thick, that's right. thick quality You know, ones. I remember pushing a car. You know, I had to park it. It was a, like a, a Passat. And I had to park it down a hill because it wouldn't start on a level. But And I hit it around the corner from the client because I go, I just wanted to get traction on the business. I wanted to make sure the funds were there so I didn't have to worry about you know, where was my next meal coming from? So you have to take that pressure off yourself and you really have to hustle that first two years to make your idea work and pivot. As soon as you hit the leverage point where you go, this is working, then you just focus in and yeah, leverage that. And that's my perspective for really, you know, dominating that first couple of years. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, hello at the numbersgamepodcast.com.au time for losing it. That leads us perfectly into the story I've got for you guys today around the business owners that I have seen fail have failed because they have not made sense of putting away tax. They take money from the business as if all the money that comes in is theirs. And what they fail to do is pay their GST, pay their pay-as-you-go withholding, pay superannuation for themselves or their employees. And all of a sudden, couple of months to the first year in, they get hit with that big GST bill, the big bass, the big tax bill at the end of the year. And that's when the business really struggles moving forward. And even the ones that do try and survive, their business struggles because they're stuck paying all these historic debts that they never planned for at the start. Well, very easy to do, I guess. If money comes into your bank account and you're running hard trying to run your business, um, you obviously want to keep all, all of that revenue. So, Look, personally, I've seen it happen as well. Um, from as a, from a financial planning point of view, I've seen people get into a hole, um, need to borrow to pay tax, um, almost using the ATO as a financier or a creditor. Um, so, I guess being an accountant, what's your what's your lesson there? Should, should people people might not have the money to come to a tax advisor first or research? Is there somewhere people can go to understand how all this works? I've got something, Nick. Oh. I've got something. I saw this in uh, business banking. I looked after commercial clients for a long time. And the, what I learned was the really good ones, the really good ones would have a separate account, mm. very similar to what we talked about in personal budgeting in episode one, but a separate account for their GST and their tax. So what they do is they'd put, they'd just put 20% aside um, and for pay tax, and then they would look at another ten percent for GST, yeah. and just put that aside in a separate account. So when tax time came, Perfect. they just had money there. So even if it, you know, the numbers weren't exactly specific, they just didn't get into trouble. So it was just a really simple technique that I've seen business owners utilise well. And you might have something, I don't know more on that, but that's something I've seen in the market that's worked okay. That's that's one hundred percent where I was going to go, Marty. So Nick, that's putting that money into a separate bank account is everything because it's not, it's not yours. I think Michael Michalowicz talks about profits first and, it, and it's to pay yourself first. But that should be after the tax man gets his GST and pay as you go because if you let that build up, that is absolutely going to be the first thing that sinks your business when you can't afford to pay those bills. Okay, so if we're – obviously, we're not giving specific advice here, but what would be a good number? So someone who – well, 10% is the obvious one, but – 
someone who's starting up a business, they don't really understand where their taxable income is going to be at that end of that year. Mm-hmm. What would be a safe number where you would think people at least won't get themselves into trouble when that yep. tax debt comes? So if it's up to 50, 60, 70,000, 20% is going to cover that because yep. you've got the tax-free threshold and low tax brackets down the bottom. Yep. If your business is going well and you're looking at making your 100 grand profit, you want to be closer to 25 to 30%, and that's on top of your 10% GST that you're putting away. Yep. So, And then once the numbers get bigger than that, really it's getting closer to 40 cents to the dollar you should be putting aside. And at the end of the year, if you do have an advisor, you do your tax planning, chances are you're going to get yourself a sneaky little bonus before year end because there's a little bit of extra meat kind of tucked away. Mm. But our advice is always you'd rather put more away than not have enough and play the chasing game. And you touched on a point before about using the ATO as almost like a bit of a funding vehicle. Now, what I would say for those business owners and people out there that have used the ATO as a funding vehicle and they put their tax debts on a payment plan is you need to have really clear plans and goals as to what you're achieving from having that money loaned from the ATO. Mm. Yeah, uh, from an interest rate point of view, what are we looking at there? Is it- It's roughly between 4 or 5%, about 4 and 5% at the moment. Yeah. And has that gone up considerably? I don't think it used to be that. Actually, just dropped slightly. Previous years, it was kind of mid 5%, but it's come down in line with the Reserve Bank. Um, but look, one of the things is that the ATO is actually pretty lenient in re- reimbursing that interest if you've paid all your payment plan on time. There's not a lot of clients that we see that actually cop that interest. Um, but so again, actually- again, Jace, you're behind the game. Yep. As a business owner, you're always playing catch up. It just doesn't That's make right. Any sense. You can cripple your business and then, like you said, your personal plans, if you want to go and get a mortgage for yourself, one of the directors wants to buy a home, you know, no, the banks don't like tax debt. You, well, there, there are ways around it now, but limited ways. You're not putting yourself in a strong position. It's not an overdraft. It's, um, you know, it's a problem. Well, so, I think, think the important thing for people to remember is it's not a mortgage. So, you know, we're talking about, you know, paying off your tax. It's not a 30-year a term or it's not a 10 or 15 year term, uh, like a business or a commercial loan might be, they generally want the money back within 12 to 24 months, right? Yep. So it yep. can really cripple your cash flow um, if you haven't got that much coming in, you're trying to get ahead. Paying off that over one or two years uh, can be the end game, which is probably what we're talking about. Yeah, you, you want to be you want to be ahead of the game. You want to be riding on the front of the wave. You just can't, you, you just can't operate your business long term like that. I just uh, think that's uh, crazy. Plan ahead, and if you are falling behind, talk to someone as soon as possible. I think Absolutely. many people bury their heads in the sand and go, oh, geez, I hope this problem goes away later, and you get deeper and deeper and deeper into trouble. The first thing you've got to do is identify the problem. Communication. And, and, yeah. And talk it's the someone. same, um, not to steal your thunder, Marty, but banks, if you're in trouble, communication. The ATO, if you're in trouble, communicate. Yep. Do not bury your head in the sand because they don't want you to fail. They will generally do what they can do. So communication is definitely the key with the ATO. And, and aren't they doing something, correct me if I'm wrong, but ultimately putting a caveat on some of the directors' houses when there's extensive tax debt? Like they're actually thinking about how do we tie this to an asset because we're at risk. There was some talk about that as well. And as well as director penalty notices, which in the past were only for superannuation. So if you're the director of a company, that debt would follow you for the rest of your life and you'd be chased for that even if the company went under and you thought you were protected by the fact that it's a separate legal entity. Now they're also bringing in director penalty notices for GST and pay-as-you-go withholding. So if you don't pay those tax debts and think that, you know, the old sink the company and walk away, that's going to continue to follow you. So, you know, it's, it's, you just do not want to fall behind now. There's an easy lesson in it. 
Just uh, put the cash away and you'll be okay. Got a question? Email us. Hello at the numbersgamepodcast.com.au. All right, guys, now it's time for the one percenters. That that 1% strategy that has an impact and makes all the difference. And I want to call on you guys in regards to what's the 1% for you in growing a business? What, what do you think is the most important thing from your perspective that's going to have the most impact in someone growing that business once they've got going? Well, mate. Off the back of all the tax and scary talk about how to put money aside, for me, right at the very start, the most basic thing that I needed to have was a goal. And for me, like writing down that goal was by far the thing that got it out of my head and it made having a business a reality. It was, what am I trying to achieve? Where am I going? I mean, that ties into vision as well. I mean, you're looking at that forward plan. You've got your vision of what you want to achieve, but breaking that down into goals was what was important. What were the little milestones that we needed to achieve along the way? Yeah, you make you make a great point there because uh, you can have a vision, but without a plan and the execution, it's just a delusion, right? So it's like you've got to have that accountability and put the effort behind the plan. And I see that's where a lot of people fail. They go, let's see how that goes, but they got no direction. And when that happens, you don't jump into an Uber going, I don't want to go there, I don't want to go there, I don't want to go there. You've got a specific place you want to get to. So without mapping that out, I think it's really hard to know where you're going. How do you see it, Nick? Uh, well, I'm, I was actually just going to champion that idea because I think people can get can get lost in um, – business books and, you know, what's the goal, what's the vision, uh, know your why. And, you know, not not to downplay any of these things, I, I think they're all brilliant. But if you don't understand the map and the road to get there, then there's absolutely no point having a goal. And if you don't, check in with it. So a goal could be something, uh, it could be revenue-based, it could be profit-based, but how are you going to do it? I know in our business uh, we know where all the revenue is coming from or we predict where it's going to come from. Um, from a referral point of view, and then we we monitor that as we go along. So we know where we want to get to, but what are the key points, um, or what are your you know there's there's lead and lag indicators. So you know what are the lead indicators that are going to get you to that goal? Uh, and if you don't understand lead and lag indicators, that's actually a really good place to start. Yeah. And your goals have KPIs. Is that kind of what what lead and lag indicators? Uh, it's just understanding um, the what upfront activity needs to be done to ger- to generate a specific result? So it could be as simple as, um, look, sales is a great example. Um, if you're a real estate agents are probably the best example. Um, the old school thought is you make 100 calls a week. If you make 100 calls a week, you'll know you're going to get 20 people interested. Then you know you're going to get 10 people uh, that, want a, uh, that want an appraisal off you, and then you might get uh, two listings out of that. So really understand your lead indicators because if you're not doing those, then there's no way you're going to reach your goal. And, and I'll back that up because for me, particularly in sales, I'll know the breakdown of all those lead indicators are going, this is the amount of volume we want to see in regards to new opportunity. I know the conversion rates on what that converts to. I know the finalization margin on, on that opportunity. So we talk about numbers, which is very separate though to the qualities around those numbers of what we want to achieve in the market and what we want to do in the market impact for the for the good and i think the best way to describe and this is why i like sport and business is like nick was saying you talk about the technicalities of of learning stuff through books or school which which is great you know it's technical knowledge but i go 
unless you're in the field of play, you don't pick up the subtleties on how to apply that effectively. And that's the same as you can be you could mm. be doing handballs at training on Tuesday night, but when you've got three guys hanging off your neck and you have to get it mm. out of the pack and to your mate to kick a goal, it's a different thing. So so the numbers are the key indicators, but you've got to be able to know how mm. to play within those numbers put qualities around those numbers and um, which is more the human and emotional side of business. So even though they're separated to a degree, they're integrated and the business owners that do it well, do it really well. So yeah, in backing up that point. It, it allows you to focus. So yes, you need to spend time on the goal. Yes, you need to understand what the map is to get there. But when you when you get back to that lead indicator, that's all you need to worry about yep. that day or that week. And nothing else matters because you know if you hit that milestone, the next one's going to come, going to come, going to come. So it also lets you really hone in on what's important that day, that week, or even that hour. How did you learn that, Nick, though? How did you, um, did you read, read a book? I did read a book. <laughs> um, yes, yes. So, again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with reading books. but exactly. um, when, you, when you say that, though, like reading a book, there's I did Shoe Dog recently by Phil Knight, which is a story of Nike. Yeah. And his whole thing basically was like, a whole clusterfuck of just shit that went wrong. He got sued and it seemed like Nike should never have been Nike, Nike, whatever we say. It seemed like it should never have made it to where it was. He was a 30-year-old accountant and mm. now he's worth $53 billion and has the most one of the most successful brands, sporting brands in the world. Yeah. And look, just on that too, and I'm, I'm going to go back to books because I've, I've probably acted or sounded like I didn't like books. I read all year now. Um and you pick different things up uh, from different books. So if we're talking about one percenters. I think reading and educating yep. yourself is also huge. But you know, just don't get caught up in hype. Take take on board what you think is important to you. The, the big key here, listeners, and listen into this. Nick's just given you something that uh, is absolutely key. He reads the book, but he applies the lesson in real time right away. That's the difference because that's how you build momentum off knowledge. A lot of people, and, and you know, you've seen it time and time again, people can be knowledgeable failures. They, the intellect is amazing, but they never apply it. So whenever you read something yeah, and you go, gee, I can, I can implement that in the market, you do it, you, you jump on it and you execute and then you learn through it and you build momentum through that. That is the key, like just in breaking down Nick's own process there, that is the key to what I've seen in, in really good business owners. They really take on knowledge but apply it in their own way sometimes. Sometimes it's uniquely their own way and that's what makes the difference. But again, there's a momentum in that that's quite brilliant. And that book, I should mention it, that I was just trying to think of the name, but it was the 12-week year, I believe. Um, really good book on um, what are lead and lag indicators and then how to implement that into your daily schedule. Um, so that's definitely a recommend. So we've been talking about goals and we've been talking about like the one percenters around business. We talked about how challenging sometimes it is to start a business. How do we know when it's time to exit a business? And should we even be thinking that way in advance? And um, I'd like to get your perspective. I have my own on it, uh, but I'd like to get your perspective. For, for me, I look at a couple of things. I, I look at um, is the business at a height? And then I link it back to my capability. Because some people can build massive, massive businesses but I've always liked that sweet spot of going, okay, I can delegate, business is working well, and I look to exit on a high and take my win, just purely because of that hard work of those first two years. And the other thing that I've learned with a few more grey hairs, check YouTube, um, is that 
as you get older, you realise you can play a smarter game. And sometimes that might be being involved with a business that's already gone through those really challenging times. And you can be a real energy with your capabilities to really take that business and support that business to another level as well. So even on a project base, so rather than having it to be, you know, a seven-year type of uh, scenario or a 10-year type of scenario, you can look at that and, you know, bring so much in a three to four-year period. So, but I'd be interested in your own perspectives on it because everyone thinks differently. Some people think that's a limitation and that's fine. But I've, I always look at my independent style and how can I how can I create something great? How do I create a great business? And then knowing when the time to leave is. On that, I would say what I think of when you talk about that, working with so many business owners that are between 25 and 35 at the moment, is that knowing when to exit isn't even on their mind because they don't have that clear plan written down of of what actual an exit looks like. They don't know even how they could sell their business because they haven't put those things in place that would even make the business ready for sale. So as you said, you know, being able to replace yourself in the business and be a business owner that lets the business do the work for them, you hire people to replace your day-to-day role. A lot of business owners, is they don't have the idea of, I'm going to exit this business in 10 years or, or it's, I'm going to keep this business for the rest of my life and it's going to be legacy. I'm going to pass it down to my kids. Yeah. So I think that's one of the that's first really things that you point. need to understand is, do you want to exit a business or are you building it for you for life? Yeah. See, see, I love the game personally. I, I love, I love business. I love playing with the people I play with. I love the clients. It's, um, but, it, but it's also a game. I know those exit points for me, and um, yeah, it's, it's really important to know that up front. Yeah. I, Nick, uh, how do well, you think? Well, that's that. You know, obviously, you and I know each other quite well, so that that's why you fascinate me. I've, um, two thousand seven is when I started my business, and I'm still in it. And I don't really know what the end game looks like. I've mm. thought about the legacy piece. Um, for me, it's about how do I how do I maintain my energy in this business? And you mentioned it at the start. So it's not about exiting because okay, well you can exit and take a big a big chunk of money if that's what it looks like. Um, but then I've got to go get a job. And how much money would I earn if I stayed in the business over the next twenty or so years? So. Of course, I think you always need to be ready to sell um, in case you do get a tap on the shoulder that you know, is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But for me, it's always been about how do I maintain my energy in the business, whether it's uh, building people around me who are experts, going to different things, um, you know, constantly checking in with myself, understanding what do I enjoy doing every day and what don't I? All right, what I don't, let's get rid of that and let's bring someone in who's got more energy. Um, but your story, Marty, is an interesting one because you've exited twice and I believe it was based on a pre premeditated idea about what you wanted to achieve out of that business yeah i had goals like strangely enough what jason was saying i i used to have goals on my screensaver that would flash across my screen every morning and i know it sounds cheesy but it, it just kept me focused into the activities to to accomplish those goals and i think when you want to exit a business it, you've got to understand why you want to exit a business. And I've made mistakes on it, which I'll share. But for me, that money that you get out of that exit has got to change your personal life and your family life in some way and give you some runway. So for me, on the back of the first business, I went to the US. I got to mentor other small business owners on accountability. I got to travel. And I had a couple of years off just to – it's like that uh, like early retirement and then – you know, you go into your next project. But when I think back that, like I think back to mortgage first and I go, the, the more intelligent 
you know, you, I'm a country boy, never had any money, right? So you get you get a mm. check waved in front of you, you go hallelujah, you know. So that, that's the first emotional feeling, and then after a while, I go, holy crap, the tax I paid on that exit because I didn't have a good accountant like Jace here. Uh, he was good, but he wasn't that good. Uh, <laughs> we had to go into like do a voluntary liquidation type scenario to try and save save tax. I could have put on. A CEO, you know, or a another another managing director, or bring a partner. Just what Nick said. Nick's done that. So as much as Nick was fascinated about me, that's what that's what mm. fascinated me about Nick because I go, he has done that. He's taken that point to oversee the business and put the right people. So I think in hindsight, I wouldn't change it because it was good. It was fun, um, but in hindsight. I would have given myself three months to think about it mm. more clearly and use a cooling off period. Yeah, just a cooling off period and then look to, well, how does it look? Because then I started another business. Yep. So I would have been better going off the back of that and coming into an established business because I had to start from scratch and go through the same, you know, hassles and, you know, excitement too. Don't get me wrong. I love the excitement of it. I think it's important to touch on as well. While we're saying that goals, uh, this you know, they have this big impact in your life. They're the one percenter. It's also important to note that you don't have to have the answer right now. Like you don't need Correct. to know that you're going to sell your business or exit mm -hmm. your business. But one thing I've always kind of read and been told, and again, we're all absorbers of education and information, is treat your business as if you're going to sell it though. Yes. So always build in the systems and the processes, the goals, the targets, as if you're going to sell your business. Because if you treat your business like you're going to sell it, it has value. And you've got to understand the thing I learned from the first business was, you know, a publicly listed company purchased it probably at about four times net profit once our wages were taken out of it. To them, it was worth eight times. I only found that out on the back end of educating myself. So, but you learn, right? So, again, talk to people in the know, talk to professionals. If I had had other business owners because you tend to get siloed as a business owner. Mm. You tend to just, you know, you're in your own head trying to do so many things. But talk to other business owners. Talk to professionals like yourself, Jace and Nick and, and whoever you need to talk to. But just yourself, get, Marty, find a mentor. I think it's yeah. one thing you touched on is the mentor factor. Is it's massive. An accountant, a financial planner, wh whoever it is that you can surround yourself with, even a mate that owns a business, it, it is having conversations and being open and transparent to talk about yeah. it. But the coach and mentor thing, as much as the whole coaching industry is a bit of a bit of a crazy thing, it's yeah. the they will drill the goals yeah. down and into you, but they'll also pull that vision out. And Me that was something that you do quite well as a mentor of, of the team around you. Mentorship's very different to coaching, um, coaching specific in regards to drills and, you know, strategy. Uh, mentorship is working on the subtleties and, you know, supporting the person to incrementally grow and pivot when they need to pivot from. And usually you want someone who has been, where you want to go. Yeah. That that that's where I learn the most. Like the business owners that are in some place that I haven't been, you pick up things. I pick up things from Nick, from Geordie mm. at the office, from you know, people that are younger th than me, people that are older from me. Mm. So I'm a sponge to like mm. look at who's put the actions in to get a result yeah. and where is that relevant to yeah. me? It's massive. Yeah. And I put down some of my success to date down to Nick. Like Nick and I sat down maybe the year or two before I officially started the accounting firm. And I told Nick, hey, I want to start a business. These are my goals. This is what I want to achieve. And we sat there and I think it was Dead Man Espresso in South Melbourne. Um, you came in looking slick in a suit and I think I was 
probably a disheveled younger boy with no grey hair in my beard at the you time. Looked exactly the same as you do now, mate. Just no greys, right? <laughs> and um, and you you talked to me about what I needed to know, what what goals were important, what steps to put into the plan to make yep. sure that I didn't fail and that I knew what I was getting myself into. So you know, you were a mentor to me five years ago, and yep. and it helps. Yep. And at yeah, at the same time, Marty has taught me a lot because I I have had that vision of okay, just keep building and then just keep making sure you're happy. But Marty coming in and, and doing some work with my business as a mentor is, well, what if you did get the tap on the shoulder? What does that look like? Are you ready for that? Because, you know, you, you, you have to remember that sometimes that tap is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Mm-hmm. So you can say what um, that you want to continue on in the business, but sometimes it's a decision you just you have to make. And there's plenty of stories yeah. about people who have got a tap on the shoulder that was – 10 times what they thought they would have ever got. Yeah. And that's when you need to understand it's time to exit. And it has to make a difference because momentum, if you lose it, is a bitch. It's a, mm. it's a like absolute bitch where you have to start up again, get yourself going again. You can't, uh, you can't define the impact. And I've been there where you go, holy crap, this was humming along. And now it's like a handbrake on life going, all right, well, I've made a decision. I want to do something else as a project. And you're going, oh, this gets hard again. So that's actually, I've shifted that thinking in my 40s to go, oh, well, there are many businesses that are through that very difficult stage and you can add great value to those businesses and carry on momentum that's been established. So that's a fundamental shift in my own mentality from my 30s to come in, you know, come in and make a, make a big difference probably in the second half of those businesses. So it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big lesson learned through probably, you know, just questioning and reflecting on some of the decisions made. This has been episode two of The Numbers Game. What have we learned today, Nick? Uh, communicate was my key takeaway. Good times and bad, communicate. Yeah, and for me it was set your goals, get excited about them, get pumped, but execute and have a plan. That's what I've taken out. And for me, guys, surrounded by you two, it's have a mentor, have someone that you can talk to, that you can just share what's going on. As you said, don't bury your head in the sand, communicate. And mentors don't have to be great people that you can talk to. You can be listening to stories, reading books. I use mentor as a loose word for that. And if you want to reach out to us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, hello at thenumbersgamepodcast.com.au. Catch you guys next week. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.